Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. When I was growing up, my grandfather lived down in Florida. We went and visited some family this last couple weeks and um, lived so far away from my grandfather, but he decided one season to come up. He had some errands to run, so he came and he had to deliver a car. Um, and so he asked me, I was in like a junior hire or something, asked me if I would be interested in taking a bus ride with him to go and get this car. And so I said, sure, I've not been around my grandfather a lot. I'm looking forward to doing that. And at one of those like little travel marts, like on the way in, he said, let me go get something. And so he went and he bought this little chess set, a little magnetic chess set with little pieces that fit on top of it. And, and he said, how about while we're taking this couple hour bus ride, I'll teach you to play chess. At that point in time, I didn't know anything about chess. I didn't know the rules of the game. I just knew that my grandfather was really, really good at it because he had a really nice set in his living room, and, and it was beautiful. He was glass pieces, and it was intricate, and he spent a lot of time playing chess, and he was going to teach me how to play. So when I first started, guess what? He absolutely crushed me, absolutely just smashed me. Uh, but what he was doing was he was teaching me that the moves that I make now will impact me later, right? And I had to learn that if I'm not careful about what I do now, that's going to that's impact me down the road. And so he crushed me the first game. He crushed me kind of the second game. But then this is, that is what he said. I said, I want you to play me again, but this time I'm going to change the rules just a little bit. And so we would play, and I would make a bad move, and he would say, hey, how about I'll give you a do-over? Do you like a do-over? Do you want to take that move back? I said, yes, I would. And, and not only did he give me that second chance, not only did he give me that do-over, but he actually then showed me, hey, you realize if you move here, then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. It's going to impact you later, later down the line. Not only did he give me a do-over, but he gave me a do-better. He didn't just give me a second chance. But he equipped me to make better decisions and to be a better kind of person and to have a better life down the road. This new year, as we naturally just step into a season where we're thinking about what happened last year, who we were last year, what happened to us last year, the kind of person we want to be, what's so wonderful about the beginning of the year, it's just this natural rhythm where we start looking backwards and we kind of want a second chance. We want a do-over. And the glory of the gospel, the glory of God's grace, is not only does he readily hand out second chances, not only does he readily hand out do-overs, but he helps us do it better. And he equips us and empowers us to do it better. See, it's, it's not just about, hey, how is my diet? I hope I get better with this. I, my exercise, you know, those are natural things that we kind of make these goals for our new year. Maybe it's I want to have better, better mental health and I want to slow my roll down a little bit and create more space in this kind of area. But, but maybe it's not just those kinds of things, but it's, it's our relationship with God. It's who we are as people. And it's some of those darker things inside of us that we would love to say, you know what, I, I know that every time this happened, I had this reaction. And this is a little deeper than just, I'm going to reduce my calorie count. I, I need to change something inside of me. And the grace of God says, you not only get a do-over, but I'm going to help you do better in what you do. 
What I want to do is I want to show you a verse that speaks directly to these second chances, to these do-overs that God gives us. And you've probably heard lots of verses. You may have some on a bumper sticker on a coffee cup or on your fridge or something. This is not one of those verses that typically are right in front of us all the time. It's in Titus chapter 2. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn on your Bible or turn in your Bible to Titus chapter 2. And this is what the verse says, Titus chapter 2, it'll be on the screen as well. All these notes, by the way, are in our church app as well, you can follow along that way. It says this, for the grace of God appeared. The grace of God appeared. Now everyone help me out, what appeared? The grace of God appeared. This is kind of what we just got done celebrating God in flesh, Jesus coming, the grace of God revealed to mankind. Christmas happened. That's what we're celebrating. He says, the grace of God appeared. He says, and it offers salvation to all people. To all people. It offers a do-over. To all people, it offers a do-better. Now, I got to pause for a moment. This is some of the most amazing news that you and I are ever going to hear. Now, you know this. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know that you're not made right with God because of your works or something that you've done, because of your religious efforts. You're made right only through God's grace, only through our belief in him, our faith in him that our sins are forgiven. Look, this is such a big deal in this passage. Look, never read a Bible verse. You hear me? Never read a Bible verse. Read a Bible passage. You've got to look at what's happening. And right before this, Titus is this protege of this church planter, Paul. And Paul was not able to be in this place called Crete. There's some kind of some people that didn't have great reputations. He said, Cretans are always, that's why we call them Cretans now. They're always lazy and sluggards and liars. That's how they were known. And Paul is saying, Titus, I can't be there, but I want you to go, and I want you to train them what it means to be godly. I want you to train them how to follow after Jesus. And this was an environment where people were separated based off of what their ethnic background was, what their color of skin is, how much money they had, and what their religion was. And if you were going to get ahead in life, this was going to happen because you had a certain skin color, a certain ethnicity. If you were going to have favor in life, it was because you were born into it. If it was going to go well for you, it was because maybe you worked really, really hard. And because you worked really hard, you had extra harvest of cabbages or mayor sheep born to your herds or something like that. And many of these people would see this as, you know what, if I am good enough, the gods, plural, will be nice to me and I'll have more sheep and cabbages and, and life will go good for me. And Paul steps in and says, hey, listen, the grace of God appeared and it made salvation free and available for everybody, not just Someone who votes a politically, a political way, not someone who wears the red hat or the blue hat, not someone who has the skin color or makes a lot of money or comes from this certain ethnic background. The only reason that good things would happen to you is because of God's grace. And Paul is saying that salvation is offered to all people. And the basis of that salvation is not what your skin color is, not how, listen, 
Not how much money you have. It was not, listen, listen, it was not how good you were at being religious. It was God's grace, and it was available to everyone. So what is grace? Well, you know, maybe a girl named Grace. Um, what is grace? Well, grace comes from the Greek word charis. Say charis. Charis. Maybe you've known a charis before. Uh, we're called Grace Fellowship Church. We're part of the charis fellowship. It's, our, it's into our very DNA. But this is what charis means. Charis means the unmerited goodwill and favor of God. It's unmerited. It's unearned. It's God's favor. It's his power. It's his strength. And the good news is this, is that it's always a gift to you. You can't earn it. And it's not just for those who vote a political way. It's not just for those who have a skin color. It's not for those who live on one side of the tracks or that side of the tracks. It's not for those, uh, you know, who are a part of an ethnicity. You don't do enough good works to earn it. You are saved by God's grace. Now, I, I just as we start out the new year, I'm going to put on my teacher hat for a moment, but I want to teach you a word, and it's this theological word, it's this big theological word called justification. Say justification. Justification. Here's what justification means. It means being legally declared righteous. And when you hear the word justification, I want you to picture a, a, a court of law. In a court of law, what happens? Well, someone has done something bad, and they need to be held account to an account for it. Uh, there's a fine to pay. There's jail time to be served. You did the wrong, you need to do the time. And the Bible teaches us this, that every single one of us, when we stand before a holy and righteous God, every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and have an account to pay before God. But here's the glory of the gospel, is that when we believe in Christ, we are legally declared... Before the, the judge, we are legally declared righteous because in this court of law, what Jesus did is he stepped in and he said, I know that you've got a fine, I'm paying it. And when God looks at you and when God looks at me, he says, not you have to pay for that, but it's already been paid by Christ. I have been justified. It is just as if I had never sinned. All of those things in the past that I've done have been declared, paid for, taken care of. The debt is cleared. So you may know that, but here's what often happens as a Christian. We know that I have been, like my sins of the past have been dealt with, but I start to think, that from this point on, I know I've been saved by God's grace and those past things are done, but I had better get my act together from here on out. And it's up to me to try really hard. So I'm gonna try, right? And you see people come into church and they've got this church face on and I'm trying real hard. So are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. Well, why don't you smile? I am smiling. This is my joy. And they're trying and they're trying by their own effort. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, the grace of God appeared to us. And it shows up not just in justification, but I want to teach you a second theological word. And this is, this is so helpful for me as I study God's word to understand when 
these authors are talking about justification, the legal declaration, but here's the second word. It's this word sanctification. Say sanctification. 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 Maybe you've heard of it. Here's what it means. It means to wash or to cleanse something, to wash or to cleanse something, to make it holy. It's an ongoing process of someone being refined. It's future and present oriented. Here's what we need to understand, and this is what Paul is saying, and we're going to get to this in a second. The grace that saves you is the grace that sustains you. The same grace that justifies you is the same grace that sanctifies you and moves you into the future. The grace that saves you is the grace that sustains you. And the salvation that Jesus offers us covers us in the past, in justification. It covers us in the present. Sanctification, there's going to come a day when finally I'm done with this shell of a body and I don't have to deal with my arthritic hands anymore or my tinnitus or I don't have to deal with my lockjaw that's always there and I'm going to be done with this shell and I'm going to be with Jesus forever and eternity and I'm going to not just have justification and not just sanctification, but I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to have glorification. I'm going to be free from the presence of sin. That's all salvation. It's not just this one thing in the past. It's what God does in my heart right here, right now, and what he's going to do in the future. And this is what Paul says. For the grace of God appeared and offers salvation for all men. Now, check this out, verse 12. Watch what it does. Watch what it does, right? We're thinking about about the new year. We're thinking about, I want to be a better you. How's that going to happen? This is what Paul says. He says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Let that sink in for a second. What does God's grace do? It's not just, you know, that that one-night stand I had that I'm not not real proud of. It's not just that, that rap sheet that I had to deal with or that link that I clicked on, or it's not just how I lost it with my kids in the past. He says this, He says that it teaches us now, here, into the future, into this next year, to say no to something that displeases God. This word teaching can also be understood as training. It trains us to do that. It trains us to say no. It is is God's grace. It's God's grace that helps us glorify him. It's not self-help. It's not trying really hard. It's not my grit. It's not my determination. It's God's grace. It's, and listen, listen, it's not, it's not even religion. It's not religion. And what, are you, what are you talking about, preacher? Aren't you, like, religious? No, not religious at all. And we'll talk about why that is. You know, religion, religion says if I don't get my act together, God's just sitting up there, and he's just waiting, and he's angry, and he's waiting for me to mess up, and he's going to smush me with his finger. That's what religion says. It, the grace of God, it teaches us to say no to that which is harmful. What enables you to say no is not your grit, it's God's grace. It's not your strength, it's God's spirit. The grace that saves you is the same grace that sustains you. So my question as I approach this is how? How does God's grace do that? And I I just want to compare religion with grace. I just want to compare. Let's hold them up against each other. What is the focus of religion? The focus of religion is always outwardly focused. It's how good do I look on the outside? What do other people see? 
It's outward. So I'm, I'm going to stop yelling at my kids because I'm pulling into church and I don't want people to hear me even muffled behind the glass that I'm yelling at my kids because I don't want to be seen that way. <laughs> it, it's, it's clearing the browser because you don't want people to see what you've been looking at. It's, I'm, I'm going to stop smoking, I'm going to stop drinking, I'm going to stop being addicted. It's external, it's what people see. And this is what Jesus says. He says, this is so dangerous, this is so ineffective, because religion is this outward focus. This is how he says it in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you people who wear masks that look something on the outside. He says, you, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed, they're full of self-indulgence, he says, you're blind. You're blind because you think I've got it together on the outside. So I must be good on the inside. And Jesus says, no, it's not true. First clean what's on the inside of the dish, and then what's on the outside will be clean. So why is it so hard for us to change? Because many times it's possible. There's, it's a complicated thing there. There's a lot going on there. But many times I wonder if it's because of this issue we have with a spirit of religion, that religion focuses on what's the outside. Like, I've got it all together. I look a certain way. But if you were to peel back the layers and look inside my life and inside my heart, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see just like a tattered mess and stains. I might look something on the outside, but if you looked on the inside, it's a disaster. And religion is great at covering that stuff up. But here's what grace does. Grace changes us from the inside out. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. I love how he says this. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, out of God's glorious riches, out of all the power and all the authority in heaven, it's all going to come bearing down on you. And he says that it would strengthen you with power through his spirit in your, listen, listen, in your inner being, that it's going to change you from the inside out out. Uh, my oldest son has been taking classes at FCC, and he's got his license now, so I don't have to drive him now, but all through the fall, I was driving him just about every day up there. And on the way out from FCC, as you head towards like Roy Rogers and Steph, there's this gray box next to the road, and every driver that I saw go past this knows what this gray box is. It's a camera trap, right? They all know it's there, and you know what the camera trap does? It tells you exactly where you need to drive the speed limit. And so it's funny. I mean, people pull out the light, and it's a quarter mile down the road. It's like a quarter mile drag strip, and you just got to come down to 35 miles an hour before they'll get you, right? So you're good to drive as fast as you want until that moment right there. So people drive like maniacs until it's seen, until the cop is there to see them. See, religion is just like that camera trap. You can have a heart that's full of hatred, full of selfishness. As long as you show up to church, you do, you're good. It's only what other people 
see that, that matters. You know, is there is the policeman right next to me in traffic? Is there a, a camera there? Nope. Well, then I'm good. I can peel out. I can drive however I want. I, my heart can be diseased and full of selfishness and anger and racism and hatred, but as long as I, I put on a smile when I step into the grocery store, I'm okay. That's what religion does. You know what has an unbelievable power to change your driving habits? Having children. Having children does it. I remember when I, when I was with Cannon, and, and he was born, and here I'm holding this new infant, and I'm looking at this squirmy, red face. He was really livid when we first, you know, when he first, like, was in this world. He was angry about everything. He was, like, screaming, turning around. But I just remember this, like, amazing child. And he, and he looks like me, and he's like the product of, of my devotion and my affection for my wife, and it's so beautiful, and he's so helpless. I mean, he can't do anything. You have to change him, and, and you have to hold him. You have to hold his neck up. Everything's going to break him. And someone comes in and says, going to hold your baby. And I said, well, you need to go shower. You need to use lots of Purell and wash your hands three times, and then I don't want you to stand while you hold me. You better sit down because I don't want you to drop him. Right? Do, you, do you remember that, parents, that feeling you had when you held the, the child and they were so vulnerable? And do you remember what happens? You're there with the nurses and you're like, I don't even know how to care for this life. And so they're showing you, oh, this is how you change the baby and this is make sure the baby's fed in this kind of way. And you're there for a couple of days. And then what they do is they put the baby in the car carrier and they put the car carrier on the mama's lap and put her in, she's in a wheelchair, and they wheel her out to the front door, and they take the car carrier, and they strap it into the seat, and they tie it down so they make sure it's done real well, and then they go like this. And I just was like, what do you mean you're waving me goodbye? Like, what are we supposed to do now? I have to figure out how to care for this thing. And I just remember how that instantly changed the way that I drove, because as I drove out of there, I wasn't like, you know what, I'm good if there's not a camera cop. A camera trap. I'm good if there's not a cop right next to me. Every single car, every single squirrel was out to get me and to destroy what was in that, uh, that car. I had to be defensive. I was like, I'm going to change the way that I drive. Do you know why? It wasn't because of what was outside of the car. It's because of what was inside the car. Like my, my, my motivations had changed because my devotion changed. It wasn't how quick can I get home. I need to protect this baby. My devotion changed everything. My priorities had changed. If you simply, and you guys know this, if you simply change your behavior, but you don't change your heart, it's just going to come right back again. It's just going to come right back again. That's why so many people don't change. Because real and lasting change is a reflection of God's grace in our Lives. Look, religion is the outward focus. It's what other people see. The grace, grace changes you on the inside. It transforms you. I want to look at it a little differently for a moment here. Religion says this. Religion says try harder. Try harder. It's, if it's going to be, it's going to be up to me. It's going to be by my grit. It's going to be by my determination. I need to do better. But here's what grace says. Grace says trust more. Religion says try harder, but grace says trust more and trust deeper. In, in other words, I'm not going to try by my own power, but I'm going to rely on God's power. Here's, here's how Paul phrased this. And to me, what is one of the most powerful passages in all of the New Testament, it's Romans chapter 7. 
Paul looks at how he's navigating through life, and he has these things, and he says, I wish there was a different version of me. I wish I could do this differently. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, but, but, but it has to come from something deeper. This is what he says in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. He says, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out for... I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. I want to eat vegetables, but the popcorn is right there. I want to maintain self-control with my tongue, but it's just easier to give them a piece of my mind. Paul goes on, verse 24. He says, what a wretched man I am. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I'm trying to fix it, and I can't. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He doesn't stop there. He says this. He says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in Romans chapter 8, this is what he says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death For what the law, what religion was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, by my internal like desires, by my hunger, by my I'm cold, I'm hot, I'm I'm angry at things. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He put on flesh. He had to deal with hunger. He had to deal with disappointment. He had to deal with people who said, I'm not happy, Jesus, with how you're leading your church. I think I'm going to leave. He had to deal with people that disappointed him. He said that he came in flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, that we would be justified who do not live according to the flesh, but who live according to the Spirit. Religion says try harder. But grace says, trust more. There's something I I try to speak with my kids often, and I don't even know that they're going to understand this until they have kids of their own, is I'll look at them, and they're they're struggling with something in life. Maybe they messed something up, and we're kind of dealing with the fallout of that, and I'll have to look at them, and I say, there's nothing that you can do that's going to make me love you more And there's nothing that you can do that's going to make me love you less. My devotion to you is as solid as it can be. And here's where I hope it just kind of all pulls together here. When you really trust God's grace, that he loves you and that he accepts you in Christ, not because of what you do, or how you look on the outside, or how together you you are, your life is, but because of his unmerited favor and love. When you trust that he always loves you and that his grace sustains you from, from this point where you have spiritual security and you have spiritual strength, here's what it means. It means that when I come before God, I don't have to say, you know what, God, I know that it's not just like I want to lose some pounds, but I really have this like addiction with food and I keep running to this and it's how I deal with my anxiety in life. 
And I'm, I'm ashamed that it means that because I don't have to work for God's favor, it means that I can show up and I can be honest with him. And I can say, you know what, God, there's some ugliness inside of me, and I wish it wasn't there. God, I know that you've loved me fully in the person of Christ, and I don't have to work, and there's nothing I can do that would make you love me more, and there's nothing I can do that would make you love me less. Now, hear me. It doesn't mean that God's pleased with everything you do, but it means that he's fully devoted and will never turn his back on you. And that when that's true, it means that I don't have to hide it anymore. And I can be honest with him, and I can be honest with myself, and I can be honest in community with other people that I trust to speak into my life. This matters. Why does this matter? Because you're only ever going to be as strong as you are honest. Sin loves to hide in the dark. And when you recognize that the same grace that saves you, sustains you, and moves you into the, fo- into the future, it means that I can be honest about what's happening in the darkest places of my life, and I want to move forward in those spaces so I can say, God, this is just what's true. This is what's true about my heart. I thought I had this, like, I'm trusting you moment, but then he did this and she did that, and, and I, I thought I was not making the applause of man my foundation, but then this person said they were really disappointed in me, and now I feel like, like I'm nothing again. And God, I thought I was better, but I'm not. God, do you still love me? And you know what he says in Christ? He says, there's nothing you can do that will make me love you more. There's nothing you can do that will make me love you less. And you are firm in my grip. And you can come with your hot mess to the throne room of grace to receive mercy to help you in your time of need. And it means you can be honest with yourself about the ugliness of your own heart. And it means you can be honest with the people in community and you can say, you know what? Right now my heart is really ugly and I need help. And I need help. Religion says, hide your sins. Religion says it's what's on the outside, but grace says trust your Savior. Now look, it's, it's incredibly risky to be vulnerable with those parts of yourself that you don't want anyone else to see. You don't want to confess it before God. You don't even know that it's fully there. It's going to take something that you walk through, some collision, some accident that happens, some loss in your life, and all of a sudden you're going to start to feel like you're, the floor is falling out from underneath of you. It takes something like that to rattle it outside, out of you, and then all of a sudden you start to see those, those cracks emerge, and you start to see that maybe you have something inside of you that needs to come out that God needs to deal with. It takes a lot of vulnerability to step into that. A whole lot more than it takes to say, I want to run five miles this spring. But maybe, just maybe, that's going to be the key to unlocking godliness, self-control. Listen to what, listen to what Paul says. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. His name is Jesus. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's the thing that does it, not our grit. And to li- listen, to live self-controlled. What is that? That's my relationship to myself. To live upright. That's my relationship with one another. And to live godly. That's my relationship with him in this present age. Maybe what you need to grow in in 2022 
is God's grace. Maybe we need to grow in God's grace. As we close out, here's what I want to do, and then, and then we're going to sing a song. The song is just here to create space for you to do business with God. I want to ask a few questions. How have you been chasing religion? How have you been, been doing the outside thing when maybe you've got something going on inside that needs to be dealt with? How have you been chasing after that? You've been doing it by your own grit. Question number two. Where do you need a second chance and a do-over? Maybe there's something falling apart in your life and you're like, I have just been messing it up with this child, with this spouse, with this thing going on. I need a do-over, God. I need your do-better. I need your help. Question number three. What are the areas of your life that you've been hiding and that it needs to be uncovered? Now, this is tricky because you may not know what it is. You might have a hunch that it's there. It'll show itself. And this is why we need God's grace as we progress through this year because it's going to show itself whether you want it to or not. His grace covers that and steps into it with you. Here's what I've learned. I've I've learned that every single step of maturity and spiritual progress in my life has come as I've stepped deeper into the grace of God and what the gospel means in my life. Every single time. It's the thing that advances me personally. When we step back and we say, God, I don't need to work for your approval. I know I have it in Christ. This is so good. It takes what feels like a catastrophe and says, God, this is so good. This is so rich. This is so meaningful because I see that I used to trust in myself, but now you're showing me that that's, that's a faulty foundation and I need to trust in you. It's so good. It takes these catastrophes we walk through and redeems them like only a Savior can do. Let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. And you, God will do business with you in your heart. The Holy Spirit will do that here. But let's just spend a couple moments here doing business with God. God, thanks for your riches that you pour out, your lavish generosity and grace in our lives. It's more than we deserve. God, it's because you are loving. That is in your nature. We're grateful for that, Lord. God, I pray that every man, woman, and child here today, this, this year, that we would grow in your grace and understanding deeper, and this is not a one-time engagement, this is an ongoing life endeavor, God, that we would understand more deeply what Christ did for us on that cross. I, I prayed a prayer when I was four, and I meant it, but I have been unpacking how deep and how rich That is, since that day, for 36, 37 years now, Lord. God, may that be true of us. Would we know it? Would we know it, the gospel, in increasing measure? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.